If you could uh, stand to your feet and grab your, your Bibles and turn to me to uh, turn with me to the book of John. First John, I'm sorry, to John, I'm sorry, chapter 1. John, chapter 1, amen. And we're going to read verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to skip down to verses 14 through 18. Amen. Um, the Bible says these words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Today I want to tag this text with the topic of subject, Why the Word Became Flesh. And with a subtopic, a word about Christmas. A word about Christmas. And touch your neighbor and say, neighbor, you need to know why the word became flesh. Look at the other neighbor and say, neighbor, we've got a word about Christmas. Amen. You may be seated in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We find ourselves today in the book of John. John, as you know, was one of the 12 original disciples. As I said last week, John is also the author of four other books, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, and also the book of Revelations. John also is a self, the self-proclaimed uh, disciple or apostle uh, that, that, that he calls himself the one whom Jesus loved, amen, and to communicate the uh, intimacy that he shared with our precious Lord and Savior. John's gospel is unique and different it's set apart from the other Gospels. Uh, 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 first of all, John's Gospel has a large amount of unique material not recorded in the Gospels. In fact, that is why the other Gospels are known as the Synoptic Gospels. The word sinos or synoptic means to, to see with a common view. 
But John chose to share the person of Christ from a different but yet complementary angle. After all, John was in Jesus's inner circle. Uh, he had a, a deep and profound relationship with Jesus. Uh, but secondly, the gospel of, according to John, often supplied information that, that helps us to understand the other gospels. For example, in Mark chapter 6, verse 45, we read about how Jesus told his disciples to cross the Sea of Galilee to go to Bethsaida. Uh, but we also, and, and, and a reason is not really given there. But, but in John's gospel, we read and we learn the reason uh, why John, why Jesus had the disciple to cross over the Sea of Galilee. John records that he had the disciples to cross over because people were following him and they wanted to make him king. Why did they want to make him king? Because he had just fed the multitude. 5,000 men, not including women and children. John lets us know that they wanted to crown him king because he fed them free food. He made a little stretch a long way. And I often wonder what would have happened if Jesus had fed them chicken and greens. But we, we see that John gives us more of an insight, more of an angle into the reason why Jesus some did certain things. See, see, John Gospel gives us an explanation why, why, and why certain things fail the way that they fail. I love John's gospel. I actually really love the way John's gospel starts. Uh, uh, it starts with, with what I like to call a, a different perspective of Jesus' genealogy. See, in the book of Matthew, we see the genealogy of Jesus uh, going back, all the way back to really Abraham. Because Matthew was writing to a Jewish nation. That was his audience. And, and he wanted to connect with that audience. So he, he lets us know that, that Jesus is from the, the seed of Abraham. And we see in Luke's gospel that Luke wants to connect with his audience, his, 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 his Gentile audience. So in order to do that, he takes his genealogy back to Adam in order to show them that Jesus was the, the son of Adam. And, and, and in John's gospel, we see something different. We see something unique. He does not point back to Adam. He does not point back to Abraham no no he he takes us all the way back to eternity because Jesus was fully God and yet fully human he said listen I don't have time to just talk about Abraham and Adam I, I want to show you that he always was he always will be and and he's more than enough well, we see that he takes some back takes us back into eternity and you may ask the question where do you get that from where where do you see that because in John chapter 1 I actually verses 1 through 3 I actually don't see Jesus's name Look at your text. Look at your Bibles. Amen. I actually don't see Jesus's name. It says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. I, I don't see Jesus's name. I'm looking through this text for his genealogy, but I do not see his name. Well, as we look at this text, we must realize that John substituted here. The word, word, logos for Jesus. In verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So if we take out the word word and, and put in Jesus, we will see that John here in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 and 14 through 18 is, is talking about Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was the, and the I'm sorry, in the beginning was Jesus. Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. But the question that we must ponder, the question that we must ask ourselves is why did John take out the word logos, which is which the word means in Greek, and, and, and substitute it? Why did he not just put Jesus in there? Why did he substitute it with the word? Why would he do that? 
Well, John's audience was unique. He had both a Jewish audience and a Greek audience. And a Jewish person who was reading this would have understood this reference or this substitute to go back to the Old Testament. They would have seen it as a clear reference to Genesis chapter 1 and 1, which says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created them through the power of his word. They would have saw this as a reference back to creation. For the Bible says, and God said, and whatever he said, it came into fruition. So, so they were able to, to connect that. They were able to connect the word back to the Old Testament. They were able to connect it back to Isaiah chapter 55 and 11, which says that what God said is, if my word goes from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I have sent. In other words, that the word of God would not come back to me void. When they read the word logos, they would have had an understanding. They would have begun to see that there was something going on this, in this text that was unique, that, that the writer here is trying to attribute something great to Jesus. Now that would have been the Jewish audience, those who were called by God, the, the, that would have been Israel, but the Greek audience, those who were not in God, those who were not God-fears, those who did not worship Yahweh, Elohim, El Shaddai, those who were not familiar with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Daniel, and David, those who were not versed in Jewish theology. They would have seen this as even different. See, for the Greeks, the word had a, an interesting meaning. Logos, the original Greek word for word, took on a vast, more uh, uh, in-depth meaning for them because uh, of, of their Greek philosophers who also constantly contributed the word logos to uh, a God by saying that the Logos was basically God's creative power. When they thought of the word, they, they were able to attribute it to God's creative power. They said, you know, the Logos is God's creative power. The, the Logos is how God rationalizes everything. The, the Logos is where everything divine takes place. The, the Greeks would have understood this word Logos in a great way without a, a real proper perspective. They, they had it partly right when they thought of the word Logos, but they didn't have it all the way right. They, their philosophy took them to where God wanted it to take them, but it did not take them all the way. Plato, Socrates, and the Stoics all talked about this Logos of God. They, they all realized and they all thought that, that when God spoke, things came into existence. They, they all thought that, that, that this God God who was a, a higher power, this God who was great and above them had enough creative power to be invisible and yet still in control. In fact, Plato often wondered why the world worked in such a creative order and there was no chaos. And when they looked around, they couldn't find a finger, they couldn't find a hand, they, they couldn't find a, a, a source, but what they did find, and they had enough sense to say, it's something greater than us. And, and this great being must be powerful enough to just say something and things happen because we don't know how things are reproducing we don't know how things are coming about but we do know that something invisible is at work so even the Greeks had an understanding of God's logos but not in the same way so here John says hmm I can reach both of them I can reach the Jews and the Greeks by using one common word that refers to Jesus then God set that thing up. He took one word and had it spark a thought to those who knew him. And then took the same word and had it spark a thought to those who did not know him. In order that John's gospel could come to them both and say, there is something great happening. You ought to listen up. You ought to listen up. 
The fact of the matter is that the Greeks were still pondering the Logos when John wrote this gospel. When God said that the Logos became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He was saying in response to Plato, he was saying in response to the Greeks that you don't have to guess no more or wonder about how God does what he does. He does what he does because the true Logos, the true word of God has come. Dr. James Montgomery Boyce said it best in volume one of his commentary on the book of John. He says that the apostle in essence is saying, listen, you Greeks, the very thing that most occupied your philosophical thought and the very thing which had you pondering this idea for centuries, the logos of God, this word, this controlling power of the universe and of man's mind has come to earth as a man and we have seen him let's ponder that thought for a second isn't that a, a interesting thought isn't that a, a deep thought that Christ became man that, that God became man Often we just say the word so quickly. We just muse over the words. We just, we just quickly say the words that, that Jesus, the Son of God, became man. But, 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 but have we stopped and, and pondered this picture of God becoming man? One theologian said that, that God's becoming of man is equivalent to, to man's becoming of a, of a roach. That God, who is holy, chose to dwell with those who are unholy. The God who is whole chose to dwell with those who are broken. That this God who is perfect chose to dwell in the midst of imperfection. That this God who is powerful chose to dwell with a, a, a finite and, and limited and, and weak human beings. That this God who is great chose to dwell with the small. That the, the God who is righteous chose to dwell with those who are wretched and wicked. That the God who, who knows all chose to dwell with those who know a little bit and a little bit that they know they really don't know that's why they're always confused always worried always cussing and fussing always trying to sneak up on each other always trying to look for a promotion and push somebody else down to get themselves up that God who 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 is is high and who can never be promoted because he's already in the highest state that that he would dwell in the midst of an unclean people it prof it's profounding to think about we see a beautiful picture of Jesus we see four things just in the first few verses number one we learned that in the beginning was the word or in the beginning was Jesus it, and when we think about this Christmas story and this Christmas season we must know that Jesus has always been it says in the beginning was the word not only has he always been but he has always been in relationship with God in the beginning was the word and the word was with God that Jesus was eternally in relationship with God but not not only that look at the next part of verse 1 and the word was God not only has the word the logos Jesus always been not how only has he always been in relationship with God but he has always been God despite liberal theology that says that he was adopted as God. 
after 30 years of his life. No, John says he has always been God. And not only has he just always been God, but verse 3 says, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Says that he has always been the creator of the universe since, since time became. That's what Colossians says when he says, when Paul said in Colossians, for by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. And check this, not just through him, but all things were created for him. And he is before all things and in him all things are held together in John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 we see the pre-existence of Jesus we see the supremacy of Christ that all things have been created by him for him and are held together through him FUBU don't have nothing on Christ for us by us should be the theme of our Savior. You were created by him and for him. Don't let anyone ever tell you that Jesus had not, that he do, has not always existed. Don't let those early morning Saturday door knockers try to trick you into believing that he was just merely a prophet, that he was just merely a man. Don't let your college theology professor or religious professor dupe you into believing that he was just a good moral and ethical teacher. Don't, don't let them tell you that he really wasn't God incarnate. Don't let nobody tell you anything other than what you just read in 1 John 1 and 1. Don't let them Muslims tell you that he was just a good prophet. Don't let people tell you that he was just a, a good person and a true Christian is anyone who just tries to treat other people right. Don't, don't let them fool you. No, no, the Bible tells us that Jesus is much more than that. And as we celebrate Christmas, we must know that he is much more than that. People who tell you that are unbelievers. In the Greek, this text becomes even more clear. As we read it and, and muse over it, we will find out that the word was in this text, in the beginning, was the word is in the imperfect tense. A imperfect tense means that the word is not just a standstill word. It is a word of continuation. Which means that a more literal translation of this, as we know that our, our English words don't always comply the, the whole, whole meaning of it. I mean, we can definitely trust our, our translations, but, but, but even in, in the Greek we will understand that there is a word that would have been added and it would have read like this. In the beginning was continuously the word. And the word was continuously with God. And the word was continuously God. Which means that God, Jesus never ceased to be God. During this Christmas, we celebrate the birth or the incarnation of Jesus. And, and we celebrate him who is the Christ, him who is fully God, divinely, and yet fully human. But the question I just want to ponder for a couple more minutes is why? Why did the word become flesh? Why did God send Jesus to the earth? Why did he who was holy associate with the lowly? Why did he who was purest associate with the unclean, the perfect with the unperfect, the strong with the weak, the one who is able with those who are unable? Why did the king come to live amongst peasants? And verse 18 gives us the first part of our answer. 
Verse 18 says, no one has ever seen God, the only God. The word became flesh. The word dwelt among us. Jesus became him, became human because no one had ever seen God and he came to reveal God to us. Matthew, the Bible says that Jesus says that only those who are pure in heart can see God. The thing about that is that none of us are pure in heart. None of our hearts are, are, are pure and clean. Je Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, 9 says that the heart above all things are, is desperately sick and wicked. Every single human being that is born from the matrix of a woman is born in sin. In sin. Was I conceived, said David. We, we all inherit the, the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And that, that sin causes a problem. We cannot see God properly. We cannot see the things that he has revealed to us because we are marred by our sinfulness. So verse 19 says, no one has ever seen God, the only God, no one has ever seen him. No one really knew what he was all about. Even the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they, they thought they knew what God was about, but they were messing up people worse than they were before. Pharisees and the Sadducees was complicating God in order to make themselves look better. And Israel, God's people, were looking like sheep without a pastor. Sheep without a shepherd, they were hungry to know who was God, and yet they were being manipulated by people and by their own heart. Jesus came to reveal God to us. Turn to John chapter 6, verse 38. John chapter 6, verse 38. And we see Jesus telling us exactly why he has come down. We'll go back up to 35. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me will never be cast out. For I have come down from heaven. Why? Not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. When the word became flesh, when he, the word came, became, came down to dwell with us. And that word dwell in Greek, it gives us a picture that means to, 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 to set a tent. When, when Jesus came to set up a tent on earth, he, he came to reveal to us what the Father was like. And the way that he accomplished this was by doing the will of the Father. And he did the will of the Father perfectly. That's why Jesus often said, if you knew the Father, you wouldn't have no drama with me. <laughs> he said, if you really knew my daddy, and if your daddy was my daddy, then we'll be in the same family. We'll be kicking it and, and connecting. And we'll be able to have some good conversations But instead you trying to murk me You trying to take me out of here Because you think that what I'm saying Is not true but I have come to tell you That it is truth because I am truth I am the epitome of truth I am the embodiment of truth I am the creator of truth There can be no lie in me Because I am of the father And the father is of me came to reveal to us the Father. 
by perfectly doing the Father's will, but he also came to reveal to us the Father, as I just said, in John chapter 18, verse 37, by, by walking in truth and by being witness to the truth. To the truth. Second reason why Jesus became man was to bring light to the darkness of this world. To bring light into the, the darkness of this world. We read this in a text in 1 John chapter 4. It says that in him was life. That is, in Jesus was life. And that life was the light of man. Their light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus became human. He set up a tent. He dwelt among earth in order that he might be the light, in order that he might bring light into the world, the world which was in perpetual darkness. When light comes, light exposes. When light comes, it comes to bring judgment. That's what I like about the Christmas season. I like the lights. Haven't been down to light up Louisville yet, but if it's, if it's anything like, like other cities that I've been to during the Christmas season, I know it's a, 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 a spectacular wonder as we look at the, the houses and as we look at the trees and we see lights. Why is our, our eyes drawn to light so much? Because light, 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 it, 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 it sheds the darkness. It, it pushes away darkness. It, it brings joy. It brings life. It brings livelihood. And many of us, the reason why we like Christmas is not because of the gifts. Be honest. You haven't had a good gift given to you, to you since you was about 12. Huh? Now, deacons, y'all don't raise y'all hand. Amen. Don't, don't say amen to that. Amen. But it's, it's not the tie that your wife bought you with Santa on it. It's not the flip-flops that your, your mother gave you and she, she just gave you anything she could find because you're 29 and you don't play with toys no more. It, it's not the little necklace that you really don't like but you say that you love it. It's not the pair of shoes that you get every Christmas. It's not the $50 that you get. It's the decor. It's the lights. We like lights. We like to see things shine. We like to see things happy. We like the decor of Christmas. We, we like the fact that the streets that we normally would drive down that, that are dark with just one street light are, are now, they, they're, they're filled with, with colors and, and different lights. We like that because our eyes naturally want to see light. Well, Jesus came because he is the light and he has come to, to light up the world, to give joy to the world. Peace has come. Goodwill towards men. We like Christmas because there seems to be, in, in some ways, a, a universal understanding that on this one day, everybody should be happy because something good is taking place. The birth of Jesus. That's what we celebrate because that is what, what good that had taken place. That, that is what, when the, the light of mankind came into the earth to dwell in the midst of, of darkness. A deep darkness, a historical darkness, a, a darkness that is ruled by principalities and powers and, and high places that Jesus came as the light of the world to expose and to judge those who are in darkness. His light came to the world to bear truth and to bring life. A person who is neglected from light for a certain amount of time is surely a person who will go crazy. 
and folk are going crazy because they have rejected the light, because they have not seen the light. And, and Jesus is that light. This logos is also light. This word is also truth. This king who came as a peasant also came to offer something more, and that is abundant life. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, I have come that you might have life and to have it more abundantly. Israel was waiting on this Messiah. Israel was waiting on this king. They, they knew that a king was, was to be born through the lineage of David, but they never was able to comprehend the fact that when Isaiah said e Emmanuel, that, that there really would be God in the midst of them. It would be someone who was greater than God. Someone who was greater than God. And Jesus came to bring it. He came to bring it. He accomplished his purpose by taking the, the body that God the Father had given him and by giving it away to others while he was on earth. God gave him a human body. He allowed the Logos to become flesh in order that his flesh would affect the earth. He gave him feet in order that he could walk the city streets of Jerusalem and, and Galilee and Samaria. He uh, gave him feet in order that that woman with the alabaster box could, could wash his feet with her hair. He gave him knees in order that he could pray for his disciples and, and stoop down on the mountain and, and to teach uh, uh, what true discipleship is and to proclaim the, the blessedness of those who followed him. He gave him hands in order that he could heal Heal the blind and, and touch the leopard in order that he could reach out to the woman with the issue of blood in order that he could have a more personal touch. He gave him ears in order that he could hear the cry of those who were lost in order that he could hear blind Barbanaeus on that road when, when blind Barbanaeus cried out and said, Lord, save me, have mercy on me. He gave him ears in order that he could hear what the Pharisees and the scribes were saying about him in order that he could speak and say who do men say that I am and then bless Peter with a blessing and say flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but, but only my God in heaven he gave him a mouth to bless those who were humble and to curse those who were proud and, and to proclaim to all of those who were thirsty to come and drink and I will give you water that will never run dry he gave him a mouth to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come you ought to repent and give your life to him he, he gave him a mouth in order that he could say to them if you abide in me and I in you you can ask whatever you will and it will be given unto you God allow Jesus to be born in a manger born of a virgin Mary in order that he could do what he sent him to do he came like he came to to do what he did he did what he did that we might be who we are let me break that down to you he came like he came virgin born to to do what he did die on a cross he died on a cross that we might be who we are and that's the children of the light God gave him a body in order that he might fulfill Isaiah 53 which says that he would be despised and rejected by men that he would become a man of sorrows that he would be acquainted with grief that he would not be esteemed but be despised God gave him a body in order that he would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows God gave him a body in order that we might be that he might be smitten and afflicted by his father God gave him a body in order that he would be wounded for our trust 
transgress our transgressions. God gave him a body in order that it would be broken for us. He gave him a head so that crowns of thorns would be able to, to go down on his head. He gave him eyes so that his eyes will be covered with the blood that came from those crowns of thorns. He, 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 he gave him arms in order that his arms would be able to stretch out on a cross and, and hug the world and, and let the world know that God so loved you that he gave me for you. He, he, he gave him a back in order that his back would be whooped with 39 flogs save one because by his strength we are healed he 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 gave him shoulders in order that he would be able to carry the cross down the via della rosa which is the road of of sorrow in order that people would see him struggle up that mountain he gave him legs in order that he would be able to hold himself on the cross just enough time where his legs would not have to be broken he gave him ribs in order that he would be able to be pierced in his side and and water and blood would come rushing down he gave him a mouth so that after all of this he would be able to say to his father father forgive them for they know not what they do he gave him a mouth so that he could shout it is finished what you sent me to do i did it and now i am the hope of the world the light of the world the logos have come and done its job you ought to praise god for god giving us a savior that was willing to come and to dwell for us you you ought to praise god for this christmas season that god sent us a king that wasn't afraid to come and dwell in the midst of peasants you ought to praise god that that god sent jesus so that he can bear the sins of the world and give hope to the hopeless and give a home for the homeless and give joy to those who are confused and and broken you ought to praise god If you don't praise him, the rocks will cry out. I got a problem when we can't praise Jesus. The one who made you and, and who formed you. The, the one who's allowed you to step in the house of God. Hosanna, the Emmanuel, God with us. You ought to praise him. Jesus coming down to dwell with us. It's like you seeing your dog and seeing that your dog has a problem and seeing that all the dogs in the world has a problem. Becoming a dog in order to save the rest of the dogs. I don't think nobody in here will become a dog to save the dog world. But Jesus came down to help us because we were helpless. And the question then is how will we respond? Well, this text tells us that we respond by not rejecting the light. We respond by accepting the light, by accepting this gift, by walking in the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world call people who don't celebrate Christmas a what? A Grinch. But what do we call people who don't celebrate Jesus? We call them lost. And their soul has become like the Grinch. And they're, they're mumbling and complaining. They're, they're walking around without hope because they don't have the light. But Jesus is the light of the world. And we ought to go to the Grinches and tell them, celebrate the light of the world. Celebrate the one who came and died. Celebrate the one who loved you more than you could ever love yourself. Celebrate the one who is shalom, the, the peace of God. Celebrate. The light of the world 
And we as Christians, we most celebrate the light of the world by proclaiming the light of the world. That's what this text says in John chapter 6 through 8, verse 6 through 8. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And that's why God has saved you, to bear witness about the light, to tell people about the light of Christ and to let people know that we are lights because of him. Let your light so shine that men will see your good works, but glorify your God in heaven. Touch yourself and say, is this thing on? Is your light shining in your household? Is your light shining in front of your kids? Is your light shining when you're driving down the street and somebody cuts you off? Is your light shining when you're at your cubicle? Excuse me, your, your office with the big window. I know how you do it, player. Is your light shining when you're telling other people about your day? Is your light shining when you're at the grocery store and at the mall? Is your light shining when you're at the Christmas party? Is your light shining when you're around Uncle Bud and Uncle Bud won't to smoke some bud is your light shining touch somebody yourself I say I see it tinkle tinkle I see it but touch them and say it's time to turn it up baby it's time to light up the world for Christ it's time to, to shout to the Lord the praises that he deserves. Praise the Lord. Praise him in the highest heavens. Praise him amongst the earth. Praise him in the sanctuary. Praise him with the lute and the heart. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Let everything that has breath touch somebody and say, turn it up, baby. Let them let see your light. Let them see your shine. Let them see your spiritual bling. The light of the world. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Everywhere I go. Touch somebody and say they need to know. Don't cover up your light. Shine your light. Not only must we become children of the light and, and walk in the light. But we must allow our burdens to become light. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 and 30. Take this yoke upon you. Huh? Huh? For my yoke is easy and the burden is light. <laughs> uh, we like the yoke is easy part, but we, we don't want to hear about the burden is light. We, we don't want no burden, but, but the Bible says that we, we take that yoke that's easy and we, we take that easy burden because one day we know that we won't have a burden no more. Those bills won't always be with you because he's preparing a mansion for you where you don't have to pay a mortgage. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. That car note won't always be with you. I don't know how we're going to get around. Uh, one song said we'll walk around heaven. I, I don't know if we'll walk or drive, but I know I won't have a car note. Touch somebody and say, let the burden be light, baby. One day those tears that you cry won't be in your eyes no more. For the Bible says that he'll wipe away every tear. Look at the Logos. Look at the word. Look at he who came and, and set a tent. He said, I'll wipe away all your tears. We serve an awesome God. An awesome God who will eternally take away the tears from our tear ducts. <laughs> who will take away every thought that will cause us to cry. We, we serve an awesome God. We know that the burden is light when we set our hope on Christ. When we see Christ as both fully God and fully man. When we look at his example knowing that he was tempted in every way that we are and yet without sin. And even when we do fall short. That we have a savior that said if you confess 
your sins. I am faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what Christmas is about. It's about an advocate. It's about a friend. It's about a savior who can wipe away all your dirt, your grime, and your nastiness and, and give you a new light, a new day, every day, new grace and, and new mercies. This text says that he'll give us grace upon grace. Wait a minute. He said, those who walk in the light I don't just give you favor. I give you favor on top of favor. I don't just hook you up. I give you everything that I had. God said, if he who gave his own son, if he was willing to give you his own son, what else would he not give you? Stop walking around with your head down and walk with your head up, knowing that there's hope. That he's got grace upon grace for you. He's got love on top of love. Mercy on top of mercy. Wholeness on top of wholeness. Peace on top of peace. Joy on top of joy. Power on top of power. And he did all of this in order in order to make us to look like him. Hmm. God sent his son in order that the world may see how his son looks and witness about his son in order that the world will proclaim the beauty of his son and then make us to look like his son. God allowed Jesus to come in order that we would walk in the light and be conformed into his image. So when you're around the Christmas tree, I want you to remember that God gave you a gift. That if you accept it, that gift will turn you into the image of him who is perfect through the power of the Holy Spirit that that gift while you are unwrapping your gift is making you to look like the savior of the universe that that gift is making you to look more unselfish that that gift is making you to have more patience that that gift is making you to be long suffering that that gift is making you to be compassionate. God gave us Jesus that we might look more like him and less like us. The word for Christmas, a word about Christmas, is that God gave us a gift that we never could afford. And all he asks us to do is to worship him and to say thank you with our lifestyles. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's give God all glory and honor for that.